The Persistent and Nasty Podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? I hope that you're looking after yourselves, staying well, uh, being kind to yourself and each other. It's another episode in our spooky season and today I talk with Nina Atesh. Nina is a playwright and producer and we discuss everything from fringe theatre, the importance of fringe theatre um, and how valuable that is as an access point, um, especially for those of us who can't afford to go to the big drama schools because that's not the background that we come from. And you know, that is a big conversation that we in this industry really need to look at and take on board and we are losing voices because we are pushing those voices out by making it financially unavailable so we have we talk about that we also talk about um nina's love of horror her new play the drought which is on in london this coming week um and you'll find out all about that well most of it throughout the episode today. We talk about the freedom that horror gives us as performers, writers, producers, filmmakers to really play and um, really create something unsettling at times and also something possibly uplifting at times. You just never know. You can follow us on all social media. Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us an email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. For today's episode, oh, something maybe like a ginger beer or something. That's kind of the feeling I have. Or um, if you like whiskey, a whiskey, um, a really rich, full-bodied glass of wine. Um, Do you know some non-alcoholic beers are actually pretty good? Maybe since we're in spooky season, a pumpkin spice latte. I mean, I don't drink coffee, so I don't know if that's disgusting or not. But people seem to order it at this time of year, so go for it. Or, you know, you could always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Nina Atesh, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Thank Um, you for having me. Oh, so happy to have you. Um, So... We're going to talk about uh, your new show, Drought. But first of all, I'd love to hear um, a little bit of history from you about how you find yourself into this industry, your pathway in, all of that. Just a little bit on you, Nina. Let's celebrate you. A little bit on me. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, Well, so my background is actually in performance. 
Um, and that's how I kind of got into this industry. I, I wanted to be an actor. Um, I still really enjoy acting, um, but I think there was a part of me that, that always wanted to write as well. Um, and it was a really weird, it was really funny. My stepdad came to one of the shows that we had at the King's Head uh, in September. Um, he met one of my really good friends for the first time and she sort of made a joke and was like, so what was Nina like when she was younger? And he said, well, actually, she was always writing stories. And I think I I didn't really think of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, I did always used to write. And, you know, I was always writing. Um, so I think it was just it was kind of a natural thing for me to get into the industry via performance. Um, I think, yeah, this, I think it's easier to get into the industry performing than it is to just get in there and write. Um, and I think performing gives you a really good uh, idea of how the industry works and how it works on stage and I think the best thing you can do is just is just go out there and do it and I got involved in um so Amdram companies and community theatres in London when I first moved here um and that was my kind of in uh, that was my way into the industry and that was how I met people and networked and eventually ended up yeah getting into fringe theatre and learning learning the ropes as it were the joy of fringe theatre yeah it's important it's so important and it's like you know obviously in Scotland we have one of the biggest fringe festivals in the world basically yeah um, that happens in Edinburgh in August but fringe theatre I think is so vital to the stories that get told that don't always get told on our our kind of main stages and our mainstream quote-unquote whatever that is a hundred percent like the importance of fringe theatre just can't be stressed enough like for, for someone like me who didn't go to a you know a staple drama school or a staple writing school didn't have the money to um you know just fringe theatre you know it I wouldn't be doing what I was what I'm doing if it wasn't through Finnish theatre. And so many people that I know, so many performers, so many artists that I know also wouldn't be doing what they're doing if it wasn't fringe. So it's it's so important. And yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate and a huge supporter of fringe theatre. You do, like you said, you do see stories that you wouldn't see in the mainstream in fringe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mentioned Edinburgh there and I do have many things that I could say about that and the kind of um, the loss of actually the heart of the fringe in it and the fact that it's now a pretty huge money making machine, which is not what it was initially intended to be. And, yeah, you know, just you kind of mentioned there about that kind of pathway that people can go on if they have the money to go on. Yeah, and it's this thing of we are if we're not careful and if we don't have things like fringe theatre, we lose these voices. Yeah, hundred percent. And then we're left with what upper class white voices, white, white males. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, when you get something, I mean, I, you know, I can't really speak for Edinburgh because I've I've never actually been. Um, but it was, you know, obviously on my bucket list to do at some point. But I've got a lot of friends in the industry who have been in past years, and yeah, unfortunately, it's it's one of those things. Like when something gets so big it then it becomes kind of even more exclusive rather than less whereas it should be the other way it should be more inclusive mm-hmm. um and yeah when you get a, a festival like that that's huge it's it's really difficult for it not to become a sort of money-making thing but I mean for, you know I would love to see more fringe outside of the big cities as well I'd love to see more fringe you know in uh, regional areas because obviously London is great for it it's a huge hub but we have the same issue here as well even with fringe theatres you know you still have to pay 
some places still need you know certain fees up front and you know it's, it is it is really hard and it is a struggle especially now after the whole covid thing and stuff and there's just no money in the mm. industry whatsoever um so yeah it's it's really tough yeah it is really tough and I think just kind of generally like what's kind of happening within our industry across the board in the United Kingdom I think is we're seeing the kind of Brexit uh ramifications of Brexit and then Covid we're only starting to see that now these ramifications and yeah you know the arts is always the first to be cut and everything yet we're the only thing that kept everybody sane mm. during their two years of being in the house absolutely yeah 100 percent. You know, like, if you weren't watching something on a streaming service or listening to music or reading a book or um as I like to remind people all the time using the internet which is designed by a graphic designer which yeah. is the arts people <laughs> designed by creatives yeah I think people um you know people take the arts for granted yeah it's, it is one of those that's what used to frustrate me about school that's what used to frustrate me about um you know paying to go to acting school and, and things like that it's like why should it why should it all be money um you know driven by money and, and that's why I'm such a huge supporter of like community theatre and, um, and Amdram um and Fringe because you know you can you can have that platform and not have to be you know wealthy or from Oxford so um and unfortunately the industry is still you know really saturated with that ilk I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad thing some of my some of my favorite performers and favorite comedians uh, are Oxbridge but there needs to be a little bit more representation now. Yeah, there needs to be a balance. Like we're not saying you have to go anywhere. We're just saying that you need to move up the table a little bit and make some more space. That's all we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're so right about the the importance of community theatre and um like Amdram in particular and a fringe is that people are doing it for the absolute joy and the love of the art. Yeah, exactly. And that does get lost a lot of the time um, when it comes to bigger shows, more mainstream things, because it is then more about the money rather than about the joy of just getting to perform and play and test something out and see if it works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if even if you don't want to make a career in the arts, just, you know, and you're looking for something to do or, you know, you're you're a new you've moved to a new area or something you know that was one of the main reasons I joined an Amdram Society a uh, community theatre sorry when I first moved to London was yes to get into the the theatre scene but also just to meet new people and there were so many people in that company that weren't doing it because they wanted to make a career out of it they were just doing it just for the joy of doing it and I think the arts and any kind of any kind of aspect of the arts is hugely therapeutic and I think it makes people understand how important the arts are as well when you're involved in it um so I would recommend anyone to to try it out not it doesn't have necessarily have to be acting but like you know yeah. poetry club or book club or a- anything that gives you a bit of that creative outlet Absolutely. um yeah massively therapeutic and, and hugely important it's so it's so important so important um so obviously uh you are a writer you're mm-hmm. also a producer as well yeah first first time producing this this one how's that going <laughs> it's yeah very interesting very interesting um producing producing I mean I might get I might get lynched for this by other producers but for me pr- producing is just an admin job it really is like a, a really tough and involved admin job um 
and I haven't um, I haven't disliked it I have really enjoyed it but I think with with this one obviously it's my show it was my first show it was my debut as a writer and um, it's really hard to get a producer to come on board if you haven't got sort of funding up front because it is such a it is such a, a job like it, there's so much to it and um I completely understand why people wouldn't want to do it if there's no guarantee of of a wage <laughs> um and no one should have to do that anyway um but uh it's yeah I mean I certainly wouldn't do it if there wasn't any kind of sort of reward at the end um so my reward for producing was having my own show being put on stage um so I went through a couple of producers who then kind of like had to drop out because of other commitments or because of I didn't have secure funding at that point um so it was one of those things that was like okay if I want this to happen I just kind of have to do it myself and it's one of those things in this industry where if you want anything done you you know you can only rely on number one and that's you (laughs) unfortunately that's just the way it is unless you've got you know a a huge amount of funding or, or a massive network um but having said that, I had a really, really supportive team. So um, my director was, was hugely supportive. Like he was there every step of the way. Um, everyone else that was like a creative that came on board. So like our stage manager, my marketing person, you know, they were all there with me. And they were so eager to help because they're all in the same position. You know, we were all none of us are, are professionals in this industry yet. We're all starting out. Um, so it was a really felt like a kind of like a family without it sounding really cheesy. Um, so, yeah, producing is a tough job. Um, and I think if anyone's trying it for the first time, do a project that you're really, really passionate about. Um, because, yeah, it's it's hard work, but, um, but it's also really fun and it's really rewarding. And, um, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it. <laughs> Good. I mean, I'm glad. I, know, I mean, I, I get, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, on that. Yeah, producing is producing is tough, and I actually sometimes think that um, producers don't get the credit that they deserve. Absolutely, it's really yeah. Hard. It's a really hard gig. Um, so tell us about your first play, Nina. Since we are in spooky season, <laughs> yeah, it's tell us um, all about it. It's kind of apt. Well, so the drought was was born uh, for a horror season initially. Um, so there's a festival on every year called the London Horror Festival, which unfortunately isn't actually on this year um, due to funding and stuff. Yeah. Same old story. Yeah. Um, but it's a it horror festival. <laughs> I, I know. Here we are again. Here we are again, because you know that it's been... Oh, anyway, never mind. Not going to go there. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go off on that tangent in in a second. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the London Horror Festival was a great festival, and it actually it would have been I think it's ten year anniversary this year. It was either this year or last year. Um, but it was a a horror festival for horror theatre, um, which was held at the Pleasance um in London, and they had they started doing this writing competition I think a couple of years ago for new plays. Um, and I saw the thing go up, I think it was like on Twitter or something last last summer. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, I've, I've wanted to write something for a while. And I actually wanted to write something during lockdown, but other things got in the way. So I was like, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll try my hand and write a little short story and submit it to this festival. Um, and it got shortlisted and then it won. So it was kind of, yeah, from there. And then from so at that competition, um, there was a rehearsed reading of all the shortlisted plays. So the play got read 
and then that was how I made some contacts through that um, reading and I met Mark Ravenhill who was then the or still is sorry the artistic director of the Kings Head Theatre and he was saying how he wanted to introduce more horror theatre um, into fringe venues and especially at the Kings Head and that it was a really good venue for hosting those kind of plays that were kind of spooky and a little bit otherworldly um, and that was that was how it came about really and um, I was like uh, okay I'm gonna adapt this into a, a longer version I'm gonna make it a kind of full-scale one-act play um an hour and a, it runs for about an hour and 15 minutes and then it had its its debut run at the king's head in just this september gone and uh yeah it was great and now it's having another four night run at the old red lion as a part of their horror season which i think they're doing in lieu of the london horror festival which isn't on so they're doing a kind of shorter more condensed version of the london horror festival i mean it's great that you've got places like um the Old Red Line and uh, King's Head in London, and that's great. And obviously, somebody like Mark Ravenhill well, uh, is such a brilliant writer. Mm. Well. Um, to have him come and say, "Yeah, bring it!" Like that must have felt like, "Oh, okay, cool." That yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, he so he came to the reading that was on at the Pleasances. That kind of approached me afterwards, and he actually kind of helped the development a little bit of the play whilst I was rewriting it. I was sending him versions of the script and he was kind of giving me feedback on that and you just you know you can't you can't buy advice like that you know that's it's incredible to just have that and it was yeah just complete like just a, a huge blessing really to have someone like that give you advice on you know I, I was like no one at that point like I'm still no one so to have someone like Mark Ravenhill like critique your work and, and help you is huge and like you know good for him as well like people like that those are the people that you know those are the people that are making theatre happen and making those like unheard voices happen um Absolutely. also you're not no one you're Nina <laughs> so you know thank, thank you very much thanks Elaine you're welcome you're absolutely welcome <laughs> um you don't know your name don't 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 doubt yourself yeah yeah it, it could happen it could happen but um, yeah, so that's that's really nice. And that makes you really appreciate it makes you like appreciate being in the industry when you have someone like that, you know, helping you out. So, um, yeah, it was, it's just one of those things. It's kind of luck, but also like being in the right place at the right time and sort of making those connections and having those opportunities, you know, like those open calls, um, those open submissions, you know, just get it out there, man. If you're thinking of writing something and you see something go up, just do it because I did and, and look at what's happening now so amazing amazing yeah. so tell is actually about drought tell is what the play is about what will people expect if they get themselves along to uh the old red line I had a brain freeze there I was like is it just the red line no it's the old red line because <laughs> you know in, in England with all the love in the world for all of you there are a lot of red line pubs there really are yeah I think there's I think there's a red lion where I grew up actually in the village I grew up but yeah and there's like yeah a million old red lions there's a million king's heads and queen's heads and yeah they need to start being a little bit more creative with their pub names <laughs> just like pull something out like just like the most random words yeah you know. as I say no shade from from this Scott but you know just just so <laughs> come on guys time to be a little bit more creative with the old pub theatre names come on white people <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. mm um so the drought um 
The Drought is a play that's uh, set on a Victorian British Navy vessel and it's set about six or seven months into a disaster which has happened and it's never explained why it's happened but all the water all over the world has disappeared and this uh, ship has, is embedded in the seabed and the only the only two people on board are the captain and his steward and a, a steward back in those days was, was basically kind of like a butler like a captain's butler a captain's servant um so it's kind of about their dynamic and why they're still there there's questions about you know where the crew are it's you know not very clear as to where they are or why they're the only ones on board um and a, a, a couple of minutes into the play um, a stranger comes knocking on the cabin door and kind of spins their weird kind of world on its head a little bit because what they're doing, the captain and the steward at this point, is kind of carrying on their day-to-day lives and their weird Navy rituals as, as though nothing has happened. But beneath the surface, um, for a use of a better term, is that there is obviously something that has gone on. And uh, the stranger that comes along is kind of a representation of, you know, the reality of their situation. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, the, the, there are like major themes in the show, which is uh, sort of madness, uh, you know, loss of sanity. Um, there's uh, big themes of like hierarchy and loyalty and um, class as well, especially between, you know, the captain and the steward and this kind of like breakdown of order in British society that they're kind of clinging on to. Um, and yeah, I can't really say too much about it because it's one of those plays where it's like, if I say anything, then it's, you know, kind of gives the story yeah. away. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially, that's, that's essentially the story is the water all over the world has disappeared. There's one bottle of water left in the captain's cabin which is the last of the seawater and it kind of surrounds that sort of the theme of ownership and colonialism at that time is uh yeah is, is a very big theme in, in, the, in the play I think that I'm sure will resonate as well so much with audiences at the moment with well just everything that is going on in the world and mm. how we are Hopefully some of us are trying to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Take responsibility and ownership for uh, our ancestors mm. um, and decisions that were made. And and um, obviously everybody knows before somebody gets their knickers in and all and is like, I know it's not me, but mm-hmm. I am a product of that. Yeah, so I should be able to acknowledge that and take ownership and responsibility and do do my best. Yeah, yeah, and and, and knowing your history as well, being aware yeah. of history and, um, yeah, so taking ownership for it and and yeah, there's there's there is a, a huge theme in the play as well, obviously with the climate change situation, um, which wasn't definitely wasn't an intentional thing when I first wrote it you know the the first version of the play that was bred 
at the horror festival was was more of a ghost story you know it was more of a kind of like are they in a time loop are they in purgatory kind of thing um and then obviously as the rewrites happened and as it evolved it became more of like oh you know the water has disappeared you know are, are these humans responsible what does the stranger represent you know it became more of that kind of kind of message and a lot of the feedback I had was like you know yeah hone in on that you know go go for that theme because it's really interesting and it's told in a way I, I like to think it's told in a way that, that isn't preachy and because it, it's not clear but it's it's just something that people might take away from it and one of those things that I had a lot of the feedback that I had when the show was on at the King's Head was everyone had their different idea of what was going on and you know it is left slightly ambiguous um and I think that's I think a lot of you know spooky stories and, and horror should be left kind of ambiguous for people to make their own mind up because what you want essentially as a storyteller is for people to be talking about your story for a, a few days afterwards or even you know weeks or months afterwards yeah. for, for to always be thinking about it so the fact that you know hopefully that kind of came through for me that's you know that's a success Great. And uh, just as you finish that, typically I now have a helicopter right outside my window. <laughs> of course. The joys of Zooming. The joys of Zooming. And, um, <laughs> just whenever it feels that it wants to move, that would be great. Um, I think what I kind of also wanted to ask you, Nina, is like obviously you initially started the drought for the Horror Festival, London Horror Festival. And has horror always been something that you've been interested in? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I never. Um... I never went with an aim of like, oh, I'm going to be a horror writer. Like I never decided, like I never made a decision like, oh, okay, yeah, horror is going to be my niche or, you know, I'm going to write spooky stories. It was just one of those things that I guess your passions kind of come through naturally when you write. Um, and I, yeah, I have always been interested in horror. I've always been interested in spooky stories and ghost stories and something I said to my actors when we had our first read through because they asked me what my inspirations were and I was like well I guess growing up you know I used to like detective stories a lot and you know I used to really enjoy the old Sherlock Holmes stories and used to like even as a kid like growing up I used to love like Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice and stuff like that and um, like Tim Burton stuff even though like now it's kind of got this like kind of cheesy element to it but there is there's an element of yeah that kind of macabre is probably the right word because it's not like horrific I don't like yeah. I'm not a huge fan of like gore stories and you know like the saw movies and stuff like they're fine to watch but they don't really do it for me not me yeah yeah here. I'm like no no no, no. <laughs> yeah but I mean like you know stories that really like unsettle you I think it, you know when you're watching a film or seeing a show or reading something you want it to like elevate you elevate your emotions and you want it to have a response and I think a really good ghost story has that and I, you know you know when you're like sitting around with your friends and you're talking about spooky scenarios or you know when when we were growing up before the internet was a huge thing um you know you would talk about like or you would like look up stories on the internet that were like spooky encounters and stuff that people had and those are like stories that really I feel like you know like resonate because it's it is unsettling and it is otherworldly um yeah I think I've always really enjoyed stories that I think there's are, something you know the more people I talk to especially this month like and um, with all of our episodes coming up there is something like with horror and that kind of unsettled feeling that we have and I do wonder if it's as human beings 
we are always a little bit unsettled. Mm. Like, mm. so when we see that in a play or a film, that we then can resonate with that because there is always something. Yeah, I think it's like, I think it's a thing of like facing your fears as well. Like I find like thinking about or like writing something that's scary or that unsettles you is kind of like a a therapy in a way because you're like facing a fear that maybe you wouldn't in a different scenario um so I I think it's partly that as well and also I I said this in like an interview that I had before the show came out and it was something I was thinking of when I was writing like the answer and it was like why is horror important to you and I was like well I think horror story not horror stories but ghost stories or scary stories are actually very human because they bring out all these emotions that that are, are very that are very human, mm-hmm. um, and the drought is I think is a very human story. It's the characters go through loss, they go through you know they're grieving for this loss of purpose that they have. The captain has lost the sea, which means everything to him. He's lost his crew, which were like his family. Um, and there are themes of it as well, of like revenge and bloodlust, which are all kind of like human emotions. Um, but it's just told in a way that's very extreme because this extreme thing has happened. And I think a lot of horror stories have like you have like that, the film uh, Hereditary, which is like basically a story about the loss of a family member, but told in a, a very, very like horrendous setting. Um, and, you know, I've seen like a lot of people say like, yeah, it's just a family drama, but it's it, it's that heightened sense of it, which I think makes people, like invites people to horror, the horror genre a lot, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I said this to someone else. I was like, do you think with horror, there's a bit more freedom to really, to allow those emotions that we have to fully come out? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, you can you can do things with horror that I think you can't do in like just a straight drama or, yeah. or a romance, but you can have all the other, those other elements of that and you can have comedy. You know, there are lines in the drought that I think are quite funny and that, that got quite a lot of laughs and there are, there's a, there is like a bit of comedy in there. Um, and you know, the, you can have romance in horror stories and you can have the drama and those, all those emotional elements, but it's just told in such a way that really heightens it. And if it's done well, then, you know. Yeah, exactly. It can be a really good story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think you just, again, as I say, talking to people and the more I think about it myself as well, I'm like, horror really allows us to let all of that out rather than what, especially in the Western world, we're really kind of repressed in how we hold our emotions in. Absolutely, yeah. especially like Britishness as well and that's the theme of like Britishness in the drought is quite big and that like repression and like you know that the stranger comes on board and he's like what are you doing like he's like why are you pretending that everything is okay and you're just on this ship and you know the captain is yeah a representative of that like Britishness of that like straightness and repression and you know that's that's something that's yeah I think really rife in in the western world so being able to explore horror in that way it lets us kind of bring it all out I think yeah 
Brilliant. It's, it's the therapy again. It's the therapeutic thing again. That's why I think yeah, the, the, should... the, the joy of, of theatre. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone should dabble in it. I think I would. Yeah, recommend. absolutely. And what is it that you're hoping that people will feel, think when they leave the show? Um, it's a weird one, really. I guess it's like one of those things that because it is kind of left a bit ambiguous, you hope that people will find their own message within the show. Um, and also it's one of those things of like, you know, I think there's a clear villain and other people might think there's a clear, a clearer villain in the different characters. Um, and that's something that I've always really enjoyed about characters uh, in, in general and writing characters and watching characters is when the villain, or you can also, or you can sympathise with them as well. Um, so it's like, oh, you know, should I be siding with this guy or should I be siding with this other guy um, or this other character? And so I think, I'd, yeah, I think people finding their own kind of like reflection within the characters is something that I'd quite like if people think like, oh, no, I didn't think he was the villain at all. I thought it was the other person because of this, that and the other. Um, so, you know, I, I like... I, th I think Drought is a very character-driven story. Um, it's very dialogue-heavy. There's not much action that happens in it. It's all based on and the story as well. The, the, the thing about the Drought is the horror has already happened. So actually, we don't see the horrific event. We don't see the crew leaving for whatever reason. We don't see the water disappearing. It's the aftermath of the horror. So everything, that all of the horrific stuff is what has happened outside of the cabin or what the characters are telling you has happened. Um, I feel like I've gone off on a tangent again, but um, what was your... Oh, I yeah, love what? the tangents. Don't worry about it, Nina. Keep going. I, pray, I love it. I love yeah. It. Um, yeah, what are people taking away from... Story? Yeah, so I think... I think <laughs> also, what, you're reminding me of me. I'm like off on tangents all the time. So yeah. I, <laughs> I, think, I think what I'd want people to take away from the story is their own version of events of what happened before they come in and see the show. So they've come in, they've watched the show, they've watched this, this thing play out between these two remaining characters and this stranger. And then I want them to be like, oh yeah, thinking about what happened before, that's the scary shit. Like that's that's what really likes really gonna fuck them up. And I think that's because that is that is that is the scary stuff, what's happened, what's happened before the show. And the the idea being that the horror is outside of the cabin. So when they're in the theater, they're in the cabin in inverted commas but the horror of like the seabed what's on the seabed what is going to greet them outside that's what's scary so as soon as they step out of the theater and that safety of the cabin it's like oh I feel unsettled now and that's that the chill up the up the back of your neck so whether that comes across successfully I don't know <laughs> it's up to the audience <laughs> Well, that's it exactly, and every audience is different, right? And everybody will find something else in it and enjoy different parts of it, and that's the joy exactly. of theatre and art. Um, just for everybody who's listening, give us the dates at the Old Red Lion Pub in London. So the drought is showing at the Old Red Lion from the first of November to the fourth of November, seven thirty p.m. And we will put all the information tickets uh links etc in today's um show notes as well for all the listeners those of you who are in london or might be in london round about that time to get yourselves along um now a couple of questions before we finish up um you've kind of mentioned a few but your favorite halloween movie since it's spooky season 
and also what you kind of love about this time of year? Okay, so second question first, because it's easier. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is 100% my favourite time of year because I love Halloween. I love coming into autumn after we've had, I mean, not that we get very good summers in England, but we did have a good summer this year, as in it was extremely hot. So it was really nice coming into the autumn, being cold, being cozy, the darker nights. Like I just, I really enjoy it. I think it's just really cozy. And the spookiness is great because again, I think it like comes into the coziness element of it. Um, I decorate my flat on the 1st of November every year. So the Halloween decorations come out. It's it's snack time. It's pumpkin pie time. Um, I come, so my mum's Canadian. So I come from a Canadian family. So Halloween has always been a huge thing in yeah. our family. Um, the great thing about Halloween as well is it's, it's a fun season, but there's no commitment to see family because it's not like Christmas. <laughs> so it's just great it's like I don't have to you don't have to run around you don't have to buy presents for anyone you know there's no commitment to like I have to see everyone it's like you still get all like the coziness and fun of like a seasonal holiday but it's not the same commitment as Christmas so Halloween is my favorite time of the year absolutely favorite Halloween film oh okay I have to I mean I mentioned Beetlejuice before um I really love that movie and again like Beetlejuice it never it did scare me but it was also really funny it's really really funny it's a really good story you're the second guest to have said Beetlejuice yeah it's so good I was it was my 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 flatmate who I live with is um she'd never seen it before and she came into my room once when I was watching it and she only just saw like sort of these out of context moments and she was like this is the most bizarre thing. Like, what is going on in this movie? It's so bizarre. And it is really bizarre. But I think, like, Beetlejuice, like, around that time, Tim Burton was at his absolute best. That was, um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to think of loads more after this conversation and be That's like, okay. oh, why didn't, why, why didn't I say that? That's a really, really good one. There's a really good horror movie um, that I watched many years ago, and I haven't seen it in a long time, but it was called Triangle. And uh, if you haven't seen it, honestly, check it out. I, I haven't watched it in a long time, so it might not be as good as I remember it being. But it was uh, set on a ship, <laughs> but not in the Victorian era. But it's kind of like one of those weird, like, is it purgatory? Is it hell? Is it like, is it just a time loop kind of story? And I won't say anything else about it because it'll kind of spoil it. But um, yeah, it was a really, it's a really good film. One, one of the best horror films I, I think I've ever seen. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. That'll be one for lots of people to check out if they can find it. Amazing. Absolutely. And our final question. Um, so we like to ask people what they think, uh, what what the term persistent and nasty means to you. Uh, I, a little bit of background. We're called persistent and nasty. So we were founded just a kind of on the cusp of the Me Too movement. And we took kind of two political, quite American, as was pointed out to us the other day, actually very American terms and persistent uh, in reference to the Elizabeth Warren moment where she wouldn't sit down and be quiet so nevertheless she persisted and then in the run-up to the 2016 election in the US uh, the former president of the United States called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman for daring to give him actual facts Mm -hmm. Um, and then there was a Twitter storm of reclaiming the word nasty that idea of these words that 
women in particular and marginalised um, voices get called like bossy and bitch and coven and witch mm. and all of these things. So really reclaiming that and kind of taking it back to us. So that's why we're called persistent and nasty. So cool. I Nina like Akesh, that. What does persistent and nasty mean to you? Well, I really like the idea of the reclaiming words thing. Um, I this again, like this is something that like society like pushes onto you as as a woman or as any kind of like marginalized person. I never thought of the words like witch and like sort of bitch and stuff like those words being bad like I always thought they were quite cool and like my my exposure to when I'm just talking like as from a horror perspective like witches and stuff being quite cool and you know quite sexy and fun and interesting because they were so outspoken and because they were so loud and I I sort of <laughs> like was always kind of like a running joke that I had a very witchy cackle my laugh was always a very witchy cackle and so I always found it I always like associated that with being something that was fun and light and you know kind of silly um so yeah I I really like the idea of of reclaiming those words and doing away with what society has 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 given them and has put onto them um so yeah for me I think persistent nasty is about women reclaiming what they believe those words mean and also with horror as well what they believe horror should be and I would love to see more female writers uh dabbling in horror I'd love to see more female-led horror um I think there's a tendency for male written horror to be almost almost pornographic in a way not in in the sexualized way but the kind of like the way it fetishizes gore and uh just the the female image in general um so yeah for me it's it's all about that reclamation I don't know if that's a word but I I just I just made it up reclamation yeah yeah absolutely oh yeah yes love it love it love it thank you that was that was quite a loaded question I was like oh my god I need to think of something really good really fast No, brilliant, brilliant. So just a reminder for everybody that the drought is on at the Old Red Lion Pub um, Theatre. Pub Theatre? Yeah, Pub Theatre. Pub Theatre. Yeah. Pub Theatre. There's, there's a pub. Yeah. yeah. First come and the, see a show. Come, come and, and have see a, a show. Drink. Have a pint. Um, first to the 4th of November. Um, all information will be in the description of today's episode. And Nina, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today. It's been an absolute joy thank you so much for having me it's it's been really wonderful oh no you're so welcome and until next time lovely listeners stay Stay nasty. nasty yay